Hello listeners and welcome to the latest instalment of YE1 Daily. We sincerely hope you're staying well during this awful crisis and that the world can soon return to better times. A huge thank you to author and journalist Martin Cloak for his fantastic insight over the last three days. And the special guests keep coming as today the podcast is proud to feature Sam Cox, an international footballer, an ex-Spurs Academy graduate who currently plies his trade for Hampton and Richmond Borough in the National League South while continuing to establish himself as a coach at the Tottenham Hotspur Academy. Sam, many thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing during this lockdown period? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's been tough. You know, it's, it's been a time where, you know, we, we can all reflect on ourselves, which I'm currently doing, reflecting on, on things that we want to improve on and, and keep in uh, physical condition and, you know, really just to use this time wisely and home in on new skills and new things that are going to bring me to an advantage in the future. That's a positive outlook and um, as ever we're joined by our regulars Simeon Wright and Peter Wright Hi. who funny enough Sam was saying about doing stuff I saw Peter riding his bike through the park uh, the other day so he's obviously been like Sam yeah. keeping fit how, how are you guys today yeah fine sir I just wondered uh, how <laughs> that's a difference between being fit and being match fit I mean I don't know what Sam thinks about it I mean do you know what it's, it is tough because no real running in the park or gym and stuff like that can replicate what you do in a match situation because that is the highest intensity that you can get so you know it is all well and good ticking over and, and staying fit and doing your running and stuff but ultimately match fitness is a complete different animal you you, you can't really replicate that it's a tough one totally agree so we're going to do a little info about sam and your career today and then we're going to ask you a few questions so sam joined the Tottenham Hotspur Academy full-time in 2007-2008, played 24 times for Tottenham under-18s and twice for the reserves in 2008-2009. He signed a professional contract at Tottenham in July 2009. He had two loan spells out in Cheltenham on Torquay as well as Histon in the conference, moved to Barnet in the summer of 2010 and currently playing for Hampton and Richmond Borough who beat our beloved Dulwich Hamlet on Boxing Day but then Dulwich Hamlet got our uh, revenge on New Year's Day in an away win. Sam plays as a defensive midfielder and wonderfully, a great story, Captain Guyana in 2019, who he started playing for in 2015 and played three times at the 2019 Conquer Cave Gold Cup in Jamaica, which is Guyana's debut in the tournament, which must have been an incredible experience, which we'll come on to a bit later on. And currently, his coaching career, he's got a UEFA A licence and he's now working at the Top Motspur Academy. And he won Ugo Ekiog's Once to Watch Award at the 2018 Football Blacklist Celebration. So, Sam, that's a fantastic career to date so far. We have we have so many questions to ask. Being a coach myself, I just want to ask you this question. Do you miss playing football or coaching football more during the COVID-19 isolation? Oh, it's a tough question, that. I would say playing. Uh, yeah, I'd definitely still say playing, to be honest, because that's what you know we, I've been doing since I was uh, you know, as, as young as I can remember. And that was where my real passion started. Don't get me wrong, I've got a great passion now to coach and improve and help develop younger players. But I don't think there's anything better than actually playing the game. Uh, I think it's a, the best job in the world. The best job that you can do is, is getting the opportunity to play football and, and earn a living that way. I think you know the next best job is coaching. But, you know, I, I, I miss them both a lot, but the playing is the one that really drives me. And how are you finding turning like you know into coaching? Because I, I love coaching. I played football, never to your standard, obviously, but <laughs> I just found coaching so rewarding 
do you, are you getting a lot more back from coaching or, or more from the actual playing, do you think? They both come up with different experiences and, you know, I've had great experience with both. I'm still at the early stages of my coaching career and I'm learning every day. But, you know, I've had some fantastic experiences playing football, some that I, I never imagined that I would, I would have. But I'm sure there's plenty more to come in, in the coaching aspect and managing aspect, which is what I want to do long term. So it's been a roller coaster of a journey so far, you can say that. You know, one that I'm hugely grateful for and long may it continue. Peter or Sim, would you like to jump in with a question? Yeah, I just wondered, how do you sort of tell whether a player is kind of like at a certain level that they could go on and play at that higher level? I always, I'm always intrigued by, you know, like we all play football, we all love the game, play it at different levels in the park or school yeah. or whatever. There's just got to be, a, there's a, but there's a transitional point from where a player obviously has that extra, little bit extra. I just wondered... How do you spot that? Is it just that somebody just looks just a totally a level above everyone else? It's always intrigued me. How do you sort of pick that out? Well, I think the ones that stand out, they do usually have that edge about them. They've got that X factor as such, and they do stand out. That might be physically, that might be an outstanding specialised attribute, like ball striking, for example, or 1v1 domination, for example. They ha- they ha- use- The ones that you tend to see that, Cord dear, you think this boy's going to go on? He, they have outstanding attributes in, you know, in a specific field. So I think attitude is a big thing as well. I think yeah. you know the, the kids that not only have a specialised attribute but great attitude. Those are usually the boys that kick on, to be honest. And and you can see that sometimes from an early age. Sometimes it takes players a bit longer to develop different aspects. But that's the joy of developing players. You you have to give everything you can to them. Give them what they need. And like I said, they all develop at different times and, and hopefully they can really maximise their potential by buying into what the coach will tell them. Do you think, Sam, that if, say, a player, say, for example, my son was at Millwall a couple of years ago when he was about nine and he was small, he just didn't have the physicality. You know, like I said, he didn't have the physicality, but he was very, very technically a good player. Do you sort of look out for those players and think, well, we can make them bigger or do you just think they're just not going to make it because their physicality is not big enough? I disagree with that and... Um, you know, obviously coming through the academy myself, I was never the biggest, I was never the tallest or strongest. And I came through with the likes of players like uh, Tom Carroll, for example, Alex Pritchard, who Tom was, you know, he's not the biggest now. But back then, he always had the talent. You could see like in possession practices and passing practices, he was always technically working at a high level. He just didn't have the physical attributes. But where Tottenham are very good, they allow that time to develop players physically. For example, Tom, when he was a first-year scholar, he played down in the under-16s. Now, that may have been seen as a down level for Tom at the time, but it allowed him to develop physically, have another year of playing consistent football, developing physically. And by the time he got to second year, you know, he was not only physically in a better position, but technically as well. With the match time that he was getting with the under-16s, he was working at an even higher level. So, for me, you know, I don't think you could judge an under-9. I, I, I think that would be ridiculous, really. So it's funny you say that, Sam, because then the two years later, when they saw him play for the school, in secondary school, they've, they've earmarked him again as he's sort of got slightly a bit bigger and more aggressive. So, that's quite interesting that he was still on their radar. Yeah, well, it's, listen, every team has their own criteria and type of player that they look for. So, this everybody does it differently. Everybody has their own philosophy and... In, in what they want to recruit. So each to their own at the end of the day. But me personally, I think 
certain players need time to develop physically. I think if you can see the talent technically and they do have that ability, I think you've got to allow that to grow and give that player time. Just scrolling back, Sam, for a second, uh, just taking yourself as maybe a 12-year-old, how did you feel in relation to the other players? Did you feel like you had something extra above the level of what the other should be surrounding 12-year-olds playing with you at the time? So, yeah, I, I, I was actually quite late getting signed at an academy, but I'd been going on trials to various clubs from the age of nine years old. And I, I always knew, like, I knew I was the best at Sunday league level. I knew I was the best at school level in my respective teams. Yeah, I just felt, again, when I went to these academies on trial, I think I went to Watford, Arsenal, Fulham. Physically, they said that, you know, I, I wasn't big enough and, you know, I was behind a lot of the other bigger boys. But I knew in my head that I was good enough and you've always got to have that belief. But it, yeah. I think what I, I always had that a lot of players, you know, in my school teams and, and, and Sunday League, I, I, I knew always I had the heart and I always knew I was going to be the hardest worker. Technically... I was okay, but I knew that I'd get through games and I'd get through situations just through heart and working as hard as I can. And I think that's been the theme. Do you think the modern day footballer has changed though from when you broke through? Because I just think the game's moved yeah. on. I think the game is so much more physical and athletic. Totally. Totally. But possibly when you were breaking through, it was more about technical skill. Do you notice that? Totally, yeah. No, to be fair, I, I still think it is. We're, we're still working at a technical high level now. I still think it's advanced technically. Even now, the I, I look at the academy boys that I work with across the respective age groups, and you know, I think, like you said, athletically and physically, and technically, they're working at a high level. I do feel, and I, I do feel, the sports science in football is obviously a lot more dominant than what it was back when I was breaking through as a player which some people see as an advantage. Some people say the boys don't get enough full time, but I think any advantage the boys can get to improve their game, whether that be physically, technically or whatnot, then, you know, they've got to, you know, adopt these things. But yeah, like you said, I do feel the game has, has evolved on and uh, players are becoming technically more astute, physically, athletically. It's, it's incredible to see even, like, you, you look at the under nines now and some of the things that they do, on the ball is phenomenal and me as a nine-year-old I think if I if I did a bicycle kick or a back heel that I was that was decent back then mm -hmm. but now it's just different level. Do the younger age groups have access to the like if you're say you're coaching the under nines or the under 12s or whatever do you have access to the sports science with them as well would it be applied to to such young age groups? It wouldn't be as advanced to a 13, 14, 15, 16 year old of course but you're given the basics in terms of proprioception and you know a bit of injury prevention kind of stuff so it's not top heavy at all with the foundation phase age group they're more focused on ball time and developing technically because that's what's most important at that age yeah is they see, get the ball time yeah just enjoying it at that age as well you had a, a lot of pedigree as like a cross-country runner when you were younger as well didn't you yeah have you kind of like kept that on in your game like the kind of high energy you're a centre midfielder you see players yeah. who are a little bit slighter like N'Golo Kante have just excelled in terms of the game recently, is that the sort of player that you might have based your game on, maybe, in recent times? 100%, 100%. Back when I was coming through, I, I used to love players like Makalele and mm, I love yeah. watching Gattuso, Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira types, just enforcers in midfield, high-energy players that played with heart and desire and were 100%. As I, I based my game on that, obviously, um, over the last couple of years, N'Golo Kante has probably been the best at that in the Premier League. Yeah. But yeah, I do feel my base of fitness coming from an athletic background with my cross-country and 
athletic running I think that has helped me massively and even now like I said when I go over to the park I'm still busting the gut trying to beat times trying to better myself and it's funny I've, n- I've never actually liked running <laughs> I've never enjoyed it I used to hate it in school when we used to do cross country and athletics and I actually used to hate it. I used to throw up before we used to have like county championships and school championships I used to throw up I hated it that much yeah. but um well, yeah. I always won. <laughs> I always did, found a way did, to win. Winnie must help that. Just going yeah. back, Sam, to um, you worked with Ugo Ekiog, a great guy. I was lucky to have some dealings with him because he lived next door to my boss and he was just a yeah. really nice man. Do you think, I mean, you must have loved working for him and he obviously loved working with you. Do you think he had the potential to go on to be a great manager? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because what Hugo had in abundance was likability. And I think for any player to have that connection with someone you know of higher authority to have that man management and to have that likability and respect across you know across the board and players and staff alike it was an unbelievable attribute to have and for all that he'd achieved in his career you know playing for England and playing hundreds of games in the Premier League he was such a humble man and you know he was respected highly by everyone it was a pleasure to work. I remember when Hugo first came in, I was just starting out and um, I was actually doing uh, voluntary work in the academy. John McDermott was getting me back to, I was just kind of assessing what was going on and learning my trade, really, just observing the under-16s. And obviously I took a few sessions with Hugo when Hugo first came in and that was a great experience and I learned a lot from him, not only as a coach, but as a human being too. Are you basing a lot of your coaching attributes on Hugo? To be fair, I don't think a coach ever bases it on one person. Don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll take so many things from Hugo, you know, like his his mannerisms and the way he spoke to players. But I think as a coach, you have to pick things from loads of different people and you have to adapt that to create your own kind of philosophy as such. So he's definitely someone that I've learned from and, and I'll definitely take bits from. But, you know, there's many coaches, John McDermott, Chris Ramsey, Alex Inglefort, Ricardo Moniz, Bradley Allen, so many of these coaches that have helped me along the way and I'm taking little bits here and there from all of them so yeah no, I'm, I'm learning every day on the job and it's a great environment to learn at. You know you're talking about some of your heroes there and I know that N'Golo Kanto was one of them but uh, do you yeah. that, that type of high energy all action style midfielder mm. the, the thing I don't hear of these days is that is there such a thing as the box to box player or has that changed now? The box to box midfielder. Just true. You, you you don't hear of it as much these days, and that maybe maybe that's because you know the game's evolved and and it's become more tactical. It all depends on philosophy, really. But you don't see as much that that box to box midfielder that covers both. It's not as nailed on as it was back in maybe the the two thousands slash nineties. So, Gerrards and your and your Jermaine James exactly. and people like that. Yeah. You, you've got more number tens now, I think, as yeah. well. And I think even exactly. like I think the the most modern day box to box midfield that I can remember. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you played in the same crop as Ryan Mason. Yeah. And I think he had yeah. all that. He had all those attributes apart from maybe the frequency of goals. But I think he had all that. He could he could defend. He could he could get up and support the attack. Maybe didn't quite get enough goals. But I thought he was the closest that we at Spurs have had to a box to box midfielder. Yeah. Times. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny you say that because for me, out of all that talented group that I came up with years above me, years below my age, for me, Ryan Mason was the, he was a standard bearer. Ryan was always, for me, Ryan was always the most talented out of all of them. And he, he used to find himself playing as a number 10. Ryan was by trade a number 10. Mm. But when he broke through into the first team, he became more of a number eight. 
even number four at times. So holding midfielders, like you said, box to box. But Ryan was throughout all the age groups. Ryan was always top scorer, playing as a number ten, in almost as a second striker. But I don't think he got that opportunity as a yeah. as a ten in in the first team. Probably why he didn't score as many goals as like you said he should have. Yeah, maybe. I, I agree with you, Sam. I, I think I always thought he had goals in him. Yeah, you know. Ryan was one of the best finishers, without a shadow of a doubt. He was left, right foot, all different kinds of strikes. Ryan was top standard. Yeah, it was. It was. If if Ryan didn't make it into the first team, it was like, well, if Ryan can't make it, in, then there's no chance for any of us. Ryan was. Yeah. For me, he was technically the best within that era and that generation of players coming up through the club. So was there any players, Sam, which you felt within your group a year year below or a year above who didn't make it and you were, you were shocked that they didn't make it? There was a few that easily could have gone through and, and got their opportunity in the first team that maybe didn't because of maybe managers at the time, maybe players in front of them. So I always say this, with one of the most talented players and probably the best young player I've ever played with was Terry Dixon. And I think Dixon, um, yeah, people, course, I remember people that knew academy football at the time and knew everybody knew Terry Dixon. He was the absolute best. He was top, top draw, Terry was. He was really unfortunate with knee injuries, but he was, in terms of talent, they, they was, you know, he, was, he was dubbed to be better than Wayne Rooney at the time. Wow. So Tell was probably the most talented that never played in the first team. But that was because of injury. And in terms of... In terms of players that never got an opportunity in the first team, Thomas Peckard, he was striker yeah, number nine. The Czech guy. Czech, Czech Republic. Yeah, he, was, he was lethal in front of goal and you thought he maybe would have got a chance but didn't, had to move on. Jack Magoma, who's now at Birmingham, very good player, midfielder, box-to-box type-ish. He was at one stage, you thought maybe he would get a chance. You can name loads. What about the time when you were there, Sam, and I think the season we're going to talk about a bit later on is John Bostock came in and he mm-hmm. sort of came in from Palace. Do you remember him coming in? A massive thanks to Sam Cox for joining us on YA One Daily today. Sam is back tomorrow to review the 2008-09 season before we begin next week's podcast with part two of this fascinating interview, including more on his time as a pro at Spurs, why it didn't work out with us for John Bostock and representing Guyana at the 2019 CONCACAF Gold Cup in Jamaica. <laughs>